Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. It's the final week of Swiss in the Chaos Cup, and four of the games matter for determining who's going to make the cut to the semifinals. Just a quick note before we head into the preamble here. I apologize for the audio in this episode. Uh, When I was doing post-production on this, I wasn't careful. I got too aggressive with the noise reduction and didn't keep keep the source files to fix it. So my apologies. Uh, We'll make sure it doesn't happen again in the next episode. Welcome to episode seven. Man, what a week this has been in the Chaos Cup. Four of the five games were instrumental in determining who would make the top four cut. It was very exciting to watch. If you haven't seen it already, make sure you check it out at twitch.tv slash EVAUNITO2. That's the letter O, the number two. Or you can check it out on the Mammal Archives on YouTube. You can do a search for Blood Bowl, M-A-M-L, and check it out there. These games were absolutely fantastic. All but one of the games mattered for determining the cut. They were all very exciting games, and I just had a ton of fun watching. But why don't we talk about it? Game one of the week would be Knee-High to Nuffle at Tracksuit Mafia. Knee-High to Nuffle, a Chaos Dwarf team coached by Clypheus. Tracksuit Mafia coached by Merrick, the current Chaos Cup champion. He's a Chaos team. This would be the top table game of the week, and it would be identified by great pitch control by Knee-High to Nuffle. All Tracksuit Mafia needed to do was to not lose this game, and that would secure them a spot in the semifinals, Nehide and Nuffle already secured their spot in the semifinals. Tracksuit Mafia would start the game on defense. They would set up a scream, and both teams would start with a bribe. Nehide and Nuffle would leverage this to great effect over the course of the game. Nehide and Nuffle would put one of their two bull centaurs on the line to block down the entire defensive line, and then consequently cage up on the left side of that line. Tracksuit Mafia on turn one would then take a two-die blitz with horns against the bull centaur on the cage. He'd get a push, he'd spend his TRR, and then knock down the bull centaur. You'd see him do this throughout the first half. He changed his tactics a little bit in the second half, but he was really trying to leverage horns to take out these high-dollar players. I'm not sure spending the TRRs was necessarily worth it. You don't have too many TRRs, especially this early in the season, and you really want to save them in my opinion, for something a little more salient. Taking the block on the bull centaur, I think that's fine. Two dice, horns block, that's great. But if it doesn't work out, doesn't work out. If you get a push, take the push. On turn two, Nehide Nuffle does once again a great job of defending the cage with an offensive line facing the side of the pitch that is in the most danger. We've seen Clypheus do this time and time again with this team. He does it, dare I say, to perfection. He identifies where the risks are, and he places his cage where it needs to be and the protection where it needs to be around that cage. Tracksuit Mafia would then, for their first action of their next turn, 
try to GFI to mark the back corner of the cage. They'd fail the GFI. They didn't spend the reroll, which I think is good to not spend the reroll, but going for that GFI so early means he lost a turn, and knee-high to Nuffle would take advantage of that. Knee-high to Nuffle would consequently have a hole to run down at center pitch. Then he'd shift his bull centaurs to the front of the cage and takes really good blocks to push players out of position, control area on the pitch. Tracksuit Mafia with these dwarves does not have a lot of speed, so it's all about taking the hits and controlling the pitch. And Calypheus, uh, again, did this very, very well. On turn three, Tracksuit Mafia would spend yet another TRR on a Horns uh, plus Claws Blitz, only gets a push again. That brings him down to one TRR for the half, which changes your options. TRRs change the odds of actions very significantly. Being down to one means now your odds have effectively changed back down to their lower value, and that is going to inform what actions you take and when you take them. On turn four, Nehide and Nuffle would continue to move the cage, doing a great job this time of expanding his area of control on the pitch. He took his, his offensive line that was protecting the cage and moved it out. Moved it out, still encircled an area of the pitch with tackle zones, and widened the control he had on the pitch. Again, really great job by Clypheus. On turn six, Nehide and Nuffle would continue to show good pitch control, could have scored easily, but decided not to, move the cage forward, once to stall, takes a block and a foul. That foul results in a stun, and he can take these fouls because of the bribe. When you foul, if you roll doubles on the armor or the injury rolls, then you get called off the pitch. The ref will have spotted you. But if you have a bribe, if you get called off and you have a bribe, you roll a d6 on a 2+, plus, the ref will accept your bribe and you won't get called off. That makes fouling much, much safer. Turn 7 would be what I consider the play of the game. Knee-high to Nuffle would set up a chain block surf. He has two beastmen in a column, one space away from the sideline. He also has two hobgoblins on the sideline, one of which is the ball carrier in the half cage. He would then block one beastman into the space behind the other beastman, so into the space on the sideline. He would then block the front beastman into a push, which is a chain push surf on the original beastman. This then moves that second beastman into the spot where that original beastman was. Then he takes the block with the ball carrier, with the hobgoblin, who is now in a position to surf that second beastman. Not only does he get two surfs out of this, but this protects his hobgoblin, this keeps his cage intact, and this allows him to stall until turn seven. Fantastic play. On turn eight, knee-high would take a block because he still has a TRR left. He would then take a foul because he still has a bribe, ended up having to spend the bribe. It worked out. Then he scored 1-0 at the half. Good understanding of probability there to take the hits, to know it was relatively safe before scoring. In the second half, Nehide and Nuffle would take an aggressive defense. A three-man line with every other player. Eight players, just one space back off the line. The half would kick off with bribes again. This time, Tracksuit Mafia will have two. Nehide and Nuffle now has one more. Tracksuit Mafia didn't spend a single bribe in the first half. I think that was a mistake. He'll now have two to use, though. On turn 10, Tracksuit Mafia would get a frenzy surf with the Minotaur, the left wide zone. That was a good read by Merrick and Tracksuit Mafia to pick up on the surf. That was the blitz you wanted to do. 
However, he then immediately tried to GFI with the Minotaur and failed that GFI. That might have been a misclick. I'm not sure. But now that left him two turns in without having moved the ball. Nihide and Uffle, in the meantime, would work on breaking down the offensive formation. He sequestered the Minotaur, get the KO on a foul. And by turn 11, Tracksuit Mafia will finally cage up at their own 14-yard line. Tracksuit Mafia would end up moving their cage to the right. Nihai to Nuffle would react by resetting their defense to protect against the run. Tracksuit Mafia would recognize a two-die block on an outside bull centaur and then committed the cage to the right to the right wide zone, and I think that was a very good read by Merrick. That set him up for turn 15 to have a TRR in his pocket, make the score, ties the game up one-to-one. On the final drive of the game, Tracksuit Mafia would kick off. They would not take the safe kick that guarantees no touchback. Instead, they deviated a little bit. They don't have a kicker. Ends up in a touchback. Nehi to Nuffle would consequently put the ball in the hands of a bull centaur, not only on the line, but in the center position. This means he has to end up taking a block, uh, an uphill block that, to free that bull centaur, gets double pals on the uphill block, and then is able to move that bull centaur down pitch, has to take a GFI to keep that bull centaur alive, failed the GFI roll, unfortunately. Nuffle giveth, and Nuffle taketh away. The game would end in a 1-1 final, and both teams would advance to the Chaos Cup semifinals. Game two of the week would be Irish wristwatch at a minor matter. This is an underworld mirror match. Wenger coaching Irish wristwatch needs to win this game to have any hope of advancing to the semifinals. A minor matter already eliminated. Irish wristwatch would be on offense and chose not to mark troll to troll. He shifted his troll off to the right. He wanted that troll to control the pacing instead of just negating the opposing troll, which is always a... A tactic you can take, and I think a good one here for Irish Wristwatch. The first half would start with a riot. That means it's only seven turns for the half. And by turn two, a minor matter would fail an always hungry roll on a thrown goblin, but the goblin wouldn't get eaten. He'd land on his feet. The way always hungry works is if you try to throw a teammate, you have to roll a d6 on a one, you then have to roll again. And if you roll another one, so if you roll snake eyes, then the goblin gets eaten. Instead, roll the one, failed. If, if you fail that first roll, then it just results in an inaccurate pass. So the goblin just gets thrown like an inaccurate pass, but still has to roll to land on its feet. The goblin did. The drive stays alive. We saw absolutely impeccable defense by a, ma- a minor matter in this game to slow down this cage. On turn four, Irish wristwatch will take a two-die block, troll versus troll. He gets both down and push, decides to take the both down result, and it worked out. Stun the opposing troll. What a gutsy play, and it works out. A minor matter would then counter by collapsing on the cage, move some players behind the cage first, takes a one-die skilled blitz, which is not a bad blitz to take. Worked out, the ball scattered behind the cage, but now he has two players back there to try to pick up this ball. Really good play by Artificial Bunny in a minor matter. A minor matter would finish out the turn with a surf. On turn five, Irish Wristwatch would recover the ball with the Skaven Thrower, tried passing to the other thrower, but failed the reception. Two plus, spent a TRR, failed it again. Snake Eyes, that's the end of the turn. That was unfortunate. I think that was the right play by Irish Wristwatch. The second thrower was in the opposite wide zone with nobody around him, but it just didn't work out. 
by turn six, Irish Wristwatch would recover the ball again and then hand off back to the previous thrower. Irish Wristwatch shows excellent pitch control this turn. He doesn't have enough players to put traditional protection on the ball, but instead sets up his players to exert tackle zones that prevents the blitz. Very good area control. Irish Wristwatch would not be able to get anything going on offense here by the end of the half. And by the final turn, a minor matter would have an opportunity to try to score here. Didn't have the teammate available for the troll to make the really stupid roll a 2+, plus instead of a 4. Failed the really stupid roll. Spent the TRR on the loner. Failed that. He could have passed to a lineman, to a GFI scorer, but tried to pass to the thrower instead. That failed. Ended up 0-0 at the half. A minor matter would be on offense to start the second half, and they just had impeccable defense in that first half. It it was maybe the best defense we've seen all competition long. Truly something to watch. We would see in this half if his offense could match and if Irish wristwatch could put on a defense like a minor matter did. On turn nine, Irish wristwatch would apply pressure to the ball in either wide zone with a scaven each, and a minor matter would cage up on the 10-yard line, but they couldn't get a player to the back right corner. Remember, there's a scaven there applying pressure. That meant Irish wristwatch, if they wanted to, they used that pressuring Skaven player to dodge to a risky one-die blitz on the ball carrier. That is a little risky to do, and I think Wenger wisely decided not to do it and had blitzed the front left corner of the cage instead. When you are rolling dice, dice rolling is always risky, right? They can always fail. A one is always a fail on a die roll, no matter how well it is. So when you roll dice, you want to mitigate that luck, you want to make sure it's in your advantage as much as possible. Rolling a dodge to a one-die unskilled blitz, I think the right call not to try that. But on turn 11, a minor matter would open a hole at center pitch against this screening Irish wristwatch defense, and it would move the cage to the opposing eight-yard line. Irish wristwatch would respond to this with a two-die GFI blitz, passes the GFI, gets two pushes on the first roll, spends the TRR to try to get that knockdown, and that worked out, and he recovered the ball. I think that was a good use of TRR, a good awareness by Wenger and Irish wristwatch. This was a prime opportunity to try to get this ball. Unfortunately, he tried to defend the ball as best as he could, but a minor matter would get a two-die blitz, they would get a push, and this would keep Irish wristwatch alive with the ball. They would try to reposition their players before moving the ball carrier. Failed a three-plus Skaven dodge blitz. Had to spend the TRR to keep the drive alive or keep the turn alive. And that failed again by turn 13. A minor matter. Kill the ball carrier. Recover the ball. Score. One to zero would be the score. The final drive of the game, Irish wristwatch would be on offense one last time. They would run the ball down to the opposing 10-yard line on the left sideline. Tried to set up a half cage, could have done it with a two-die block with the Skaven Blitzer at the line and finished the cage with a dodging Goblin, who, remember, has Stunty and has Dodge, but decided instead he wanted to have a little bit of a stronger player on that hatch. He wanted that Skaven Blitzer with the strength of three as opposed to the strength of two on that back corner of the cage. So he dodged with the Blitzer instead, failed the dodge, and therefore could not close up the cage. This gave a minor matter an opportunity to surf the ball carrier. A minor matter would end the game with a goblin throw for posterity. Irish wristwatch had a long shot to score, 
but instead decided to focus on getting SPP on the players that they wanted. And I think that was a good strategic decision to play for the season rather than playing for the company. 1-0 would be the final, and that would eliminate Irish Wristwatch from the Chaos Cup. Game 3 would be Dead Man's Party versus Neglected of Nuffle. Malik 73 versus War Horseman. Necro versus Pro Elf. This is the one game this week that wouldn't have a role in determining the top four cut for the Chaos Cup, but that doesn't mean the game doesn't matter. These coaches can still play these teams to get SPP to hurt the other team for the future of the of the season. Neglected of Nuffle would come out of the gates here on defense in this game with their characteristic aggressive defense. They would have two players that end up getting left behind by turn three. They tried to go down pitch right out of the gate, sprinting down pitch, and that would pull those two players out of position. On turn three, Dead Man's Party's offense would see a werewolf blitz who had the block skill. That's a good pickup on a werewolf. He'd get the both down result and a push result, but chose to re-roll that. Didn't see the both down result, unfortunately. When you have the block skill, both down means that you don't get knocked down. Fortunately, though, he got the knockdown on the reroll and was able to cage up at center pitch. On turn three, Neglected of Nuffle would blitz the back left corner of the cage with a journeyman. He'd take a mark with a permanent player, took the blitz with the journeyman, could have used, could have flipped that around, could have used the regular player to take the blitz and the journeyman to mark. Journeymen always come with the loner skills, so if the roll fails, if you want to spend the TRR, you have to roll a D6 first on a four plus, you get to. That generally means you don't want to waste a TRR on a journeyman. So if you just flip that around, now you can take the TRR on that block and make it a lot safer. On turn four, a good job done by Malik freeing the ball carrier from that aggressive defense. He was marked on all corners of the cage, took the correct action order to free up the ball carrier. And because the defense was so aggressive, that gave Malik an opportunity to open up a hole with his offense. When you go aggressive, you're often making a choice between applying pressure and having area control on the pitch. By applying pressure, you're not where you want to be a turn later on the pitch. Therefore, you're not controlling the areas of the pitch and you're allowing your opponent an opportunity to take that control. Neglected of Nuffle would eventually uh, set up an assist to get a one-die block but on the ball carry, but needed double dodges to do that. Instead, he took one dodge instead that resulted in an uphill block, but that uphill block worked. But because of that, the ball carrier got pushed further toward the end zone, and that eliminated one of the dodges that that ball carrier potentially would have had to make on the offensive turn. On turn five, Dead Man's Party would make a one-die surf with the werewolf, but that put the werewolf in danger of being surfed. You always want to be careful with your high dollar players, especially on a necro team where it's all defined by your high dollars. You don't want to put your werewolves into undue danger. You don't want to put your flesh columns into undue Now on Neglected of Nuffle's turn, they could have ended the turn with a skilled uphill block to surf that werewolf. It, it can be hard to see, but what they needed, they only needed a push or better on the die results. So they're going to roll two dice on an uphill block. That's a two thirds chance times a two thirds chance. That means it's a 44% chance of succeeding without a reroll. However, he could have had a reroll at the end of his turn. He, he had one in his pocket. If he had it at the end of his turn, he could have kept it for this. That would have upped the chances of surfing this werewolf 
to a 64%. And I think that would have been totally worth it to remove this werewolf, this crucial player from the pitch. Take that uphill block, spend the TRR on it. All you need is a push, and, and then the werewolf's out, potentially for the rest of the game. Instead of taking that uphill block, he took a 6-plus dodge with that player instead, and that worked out. This would result in an uphill block on the ball carrier. Again, he would push the ball carrier, and again, that would push the ball carrier one space further to the end zone, negating one dodge he potentially had to make. Dead man's party would go up 1-0. to zero. Final drive of the first half, one turn, Neglected Duffel would set up a surf, and it would work out. Well done. And Neglected Duffel would see themselves on offense here to start the second half. They would take a risky one-die blitz on the werewolf, unskilled. Thankfully, it was after they caged up, but that werewolf had the block skill. He ended up rolling skull regardless. By turn 10, Neglected Duffel would shift the cage from the left wide zone to mid-pitch while he could. This was very good awareness by War Horseman to beat cognizant of his movement options. He knew he was limited when he was backed into a corner in the left wide zone. He said, I have an opportunity to open up my movement options. I'm going to take it right now. I'm going to move laterally and cage up at mid-pitch. Good play by War Horseman here. And that good play would open up a long pass to a receiver with nerves of steel. That was, uh, I think it was a two plus even when marked. He would then dodge the score. He had the TRR just in case. One to one would tie this game up. Well done by War Horseman. Toward the end of this game, Dead Man's Party would be on offense and they would take all the blocks they could in turns 14 and 15, but that left no one to protect the ball carrier. So he ends up moving the ghoul all by his lonesome to get down to the opposing 12-yard line. On turn 16, Neglected of Nuffle would end up taking a one-die blitz instead of setting up the two-die blitz on the ball carrier, and this would result in a push. This keeps Dead Man's Party alive. Neglected Enough could have moved in an assist first, and then that would have given the two-die block, went straight for the one-die block instead, and now Dead Man's Party has an opportunity to win this game. On the final turn of the game, Dead Man's Party could have freed up the block werewolf, that's the werewolf with the block skill, to take a one-die skilled blitz against one of the two marks on the ball carrier. That's a fairly good blitz to take, and it would have increased the ball carrier's dodge odds. On the final turn of the game, Dead Man's Party could have freed up the block werewolf, that's the werewolf with the block skill, to take a blitz on one of the two marks on the ball carrier. Taking a one-die block with the block skill when your opponent is unskilled, not a bad block to take. That would have freed up, or that would have increased the odds of one of the dodges that the ball carrier would have had to take. Instead, he took a bunch of blocks, perhaps in service of further in the season, wanted to try to put the hurt on now while he could. But now this meant that that ball carrier had to dodge. He decided to take the one-die blitz with the ball carrier, got a both-down result. The game would end in a 1-1 draw. Now, the blitz he took there might seem like six of one, half a dozen of the other. His two options here were to take the blitz and then a two-plus dodge to score, or to take two dodges to score. The blitz, because he's unskilled, was a 50-50. Half the die rolls are in your favor, and then the dodge would have been a two-plus. But the dodge, the first, if he did the double dodge, the first dodge would have been a 4+, plus, and then the second dodge would have been a 2+. plus. So that seems like the same thing. The difference, though, is that the player had the dodge skill. So even though he didn't have any TRRs, he had the dodge skill. He could have re-rolled one of those dodges, and that's what would have made the double dodge the safer bet. 
game four of the week would be a reptile dysfunction versus pips pippy fan club this was lizardmen versus lizardmen and this is an interesting matchup because lizard teams are saruses and skinks lots of strength four lots of strength nothing so you have an option to either mark strength for strength where you go saurus for saurus and you want to play a bit of a chess game where you want area control where you want momentum where you want the game to be controlled by the skinks or you send your Sauruses after your opponent's skinks and you just try to get the player advantage like you would as a lizard team against a, a weaker team. PPFC would decide not to mark Crocs the Crocs. He'd be on offense, so he gets to set up his formation second. Just like Irish Wristwatch, he wanted to have momentum, decide where these Crocs are going. He wanted to leverage his Crocs to pick up momentum on offense. A Reptile Dysfunction's coaching assistant allowed him to pick up a third TRR on the kickoff event table. So that's three TRRs to two. That is often sort of the, the flipping point between not quite enough TRRs and just enough TRRs. That's the switch between when TRR management is crucial to when TRR management is simply good. When you have two TRRs, you really want to manage those team rerolls. You don't want to spend them superfluously. You want to make sure you have them four actions that are key to your strategy or your drive and and ensuring that you're you're getting what you want whether that's a TD or whether that's a knockdown that that's the importance of TRS because they they change the odds just so much just by being able to spend or to reroll a die so it looked like in the first half PPFC was going to try to play the bashy game to try to get player advantage and Nick Satan's reptile dysfunction decided that they were going to play chess instead they wanted area control. By turn two, the teams would already break up into two units. You had the two units on the ball to the left of the pitch, and you had the Karate Kid units over to the right just punching each other in the face. This will often happen with Lizardman teams because those Sarses are such low agility that once they get marked, once they get tied up, they're not going anywhere. On turn three, PPFC takes a two-die block, Sarus versus Sarus, and here you can see he tried to play the Bashy game. He gets a push and a both-down result. He went for the both-down result, but he ended up getting injured in that trade. That would allow a reptile dysfunction to recover and secure the ball on their turn. However, by turn four, Pips Pippi Fan Club would make a good conversion from offense to defense to get in front of the ball carrier. He would end up putting three dodges on the ball carrier and close down the left sideline with a skink, forcing a lateral move by a reptile dysfunction, reducing forward movement by one. This was a really solid play by PPFC. These are two really good coaches, and Nick Satan is the current league champion. A reptile dysfunction didn't lose their cool. Instead of trying to keep that forward movement going, he said, you know what? Well done on defense. I'm going to take a step back, moves the ball carrier backwards to set up a solid cage. This was a very good move by Nick Satan and good cognizance and recognition of when the defense has you. Defense was in good shape. He had him. He said, all right, you win this round. I'm going to take a step back and regroup. This would allow Nick Satan to eventually move the ball down pitch to the 12-yard line, and only two PPFC players would still be in good position by this point. The rest would be all out of position. So a good switcheroo here by Reptile Dysfunction. At this point, El Nubarino and PPFC decide to not even try to stop the ball. They said, you know what? Your offense, you got us. Now we're just going to try to put the hurt on. We're just going to try to get the player advantage that we want to get. You've won. You, you've won this round. 
you'll get your TD, we'll get our shot in the next half. However, this tactic would backfire and it would be PPFC losing three additional players before the half was over. A reptile dysfunction would score on turn eight and they would win one to zero. And this is partially because a reptile dysfunction understood what was going on here and they swapped out sarses for skinks. So they just moved the skinks down to protect the ball and they said, you know what? I'm gonna move my sarses back in. You wanna be in a punching match? Let's get in a punching match. The second half would begin with Pip's Pippi Fan Club having three injured sarses, not even KO'd, but three injured sarses. They're not coming back on the pitch. Three KO'd skinks as well, and only one of those would come back. That would leave a reptile dysfunction with a significant four-man player advantage. On the very first turn of the half, a reptile dysfunction would knock out another Saurus. That leaves just two of the six Saurus's left on the pitch for PPFC. Nick Satan would do more of the same here. He would protect the ball with the Skinks. He was in the lead. He has a massive player advantage, and he sent those Saurus's out to go inflict more damage. A reptile dysfunction would even end up fouling with the ball carrier to remove a skink. It's fairly safe because he had the bribe at this point, but man, was it audacious. When you foul with the ball carrier, I don't care how safe it is, you can still fail. <laughs> and it, it was, I, I don't know if it was all that necessary, <laughs> but, but it worked out. So props to him. A reptile dysfunction would take a further foul on a skink to injure the skink that leaves just four players left on the pitch for PPFC at this point. By turn 13, PPFC would try a five-plus dodge blitz with the Crocs because what else are you going to do at this point? And it worked out, and he knocked out the ball carrier. Unfortunately for PPFC, the ball would scatter into the hands of another opposing skin. By turn 14, the writing was on the wall. PPFC would only be left with two Saurus's, one skink, and one he tried one last ditch dodge with a skink, failed, and of course, wouldn't you know it, the skink got injured. 2-0 would be the final. A reptile dysfunction would advance to the semi PPFC would not be out of it quite yet. That would be determined by the final game of the week. The final game of the week would see Pity the Ghoul versus Take the Wood, Take the Bad. Pity the Ghoul, the necro team coached by Dead Fred. Take the Wood, Take the Bad, the Wood Elf team. Coached by AVU2. Pity the Ghoul already eliminated from the competition. Take the Wood, Take the Bad had to win this one in order to make the cut. The first thing they would decide to do is pick up a Bloodweiser Babe. They'd get 10k in the inducement phase. Decided to spend an additional 40k to pick up that Bloodweiser Babe. Hoped it would work out to save some Wood Elves from knockouts. Didn't actually work too much. There, there were... Not a lot of knockouts for Take the Wood, Take the Bad. I think maybe one, and the rest were all injuries. Pity the Ghoul would win the coin toss and go on defense first, which is always the good move against an Elven team. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would block down the line on turn one. They would blitz to open a hole for the War Dancer to move down pitch to receive the ball. But on Pity the Ghoul's turn, they would use the Werewolf to surf the Wrestle Lineman, who opened up the hole. Wrestle means when you take a block, if it's a both-down result, you can just choose both players to go down without making an armor roll. Very good skill to pick up for an Elven team. But Pity the Ghoul got the surf on that player to take a one-man player advantage. On turn two, Take the Wood, Take the Bad was set up pretty well to hand off the ball and pass it to score. However... Take the Wood, Take the Bad failed the handoff. They spent the TRR, failed it again. That was a 97% chance 
to succeed in that handoff. Didn't work out. Rolled snake eyes and burned the TRR as a result. Pity the Ghoul would pounce on the opportunity to collapse on the ball. And by turn four, take the woods, take the bads. War Dancer would return back to the ball and try to play some defense. Took a blitz on the werewolf and KO'd the werewolf. This is a great KO for Take the Wood, Take the Bad. On Pity the Ghoul's turn, they would set up a seven-man cage to protect the ball. This is not their half to score. So if they can end up scoring on this half, or even if they can just prevent Take the Wood, Take the Bad from scoring, this will be a great half for them. However, at the end of this turn, they take a really gutsy play where they blitz with the ball carrier, they move out of the cage, they want to try to take down the War Dancer. Didn't work out got the push, and then moved the ball carrier back into the cage. Really gutsy, really courageous play by Dead Fred. But it was the right call to make because on turn five, take the wood, take the bad, would mark the front golem on the cage and both right side play to then take a dodge, leap, blitz with the war dancer. So one die blitz gets the pal. The ball ends up in the hands of a take the wood lineman. Take the Wood would end up dishing out two more KOs for a total of three KOs against this Necro team. However, in turn, they'd go down by two injuries. Pity the Ghoul knocks the ball from the hands of the Take the Wood lineman, but the ball scatters to the right wide zone. All Pity the Ghoul could do at that point was mark the ball with their Flesh Golem. They tried to foul the War Dancer. They had three assists. That was a good move. They got the stunned and no call off. Great play by Dead Fred. You always want to go after those high-dollar uh, elf players. Taking a foul on a war dancer. If you get a war dancer knocked down, only one face on a block die knocks them down. If you get them knocked down, especially on a setup where the only positionals are two war dancers, you take it. You go for the foul. Dead Fred recognized that. Went for it with three assists. Didn't work out, but he didn't get called off. So it was a good play. On turn six, take the wood, take the bad. Would free up their AG5 linemen and get a fourth KO in the process. They already had a lineman down pitch in scoring position. Because the lineman that they freed up had an AG of five, that marked pickup on the ball was just a two plus. The long throw was only a 50-50, and the catch is a two plus. Went ahead, took it, worked out, take the wood, take the bad, would go up one to zero. Take the wood, take the bad, would get back one KO, but that left a one-man player advantage in take the wood's favor. On the kickoff, a thrown Rock would injure yet another player on Take the Wood, Take the Bad's team. But Pity the Ghoul set up very strong on the left side of the pitch that left the right wide zone wide open. Take the Wood took advantage of it, went for the short kick. It worked out, and Take the Wood would easily be able to grab this ball and try to go up 2-0 at the half. On Pity the Ghoul's turn, they would take a two-die block first, they would end up with quad skulls after spending the TRR that left the ball wide open for Take the Wood, Take the Bad to pick up on turn seven. And wouldn't you know it, they failed the plus two pickup with the War Dancer. No TRRs remaining. At the end of the half, Take the Wood, Take the Bad would leave Pity the Ghoul with one blitz to take on the War Dancer. Nothing came of it, and the half would end 1-0 in Take the Wood, Take the Bad's favor. Start of the second half of the game, Pity the Ghoul would get back all three of their KOs. It's a three-man player advantage to Pity the Ghoul to start the half. On turn nine, Pity the Ghoul would cause yet another injury. That's four injuries for Take the Wood, Take the Bad. They would cage up at center pitch. 
And by turn 10, they would cross the line of scrimmage that Cage would be on the four-yard line. With just seven players left on the pitch, take the wood, take the bad, was trying to keep their de- defense intact to slow the cage as much as possible, but it was not working out. Pity the Ghoul was doing a really good job of encircling and picking off the defensive players. On turn 10, take the wood, take the bad, would try a risky leap blitz with the war dancer uphill block. It ended up with a both down result, but both the ball carrier and the war dancer had the block skill. So it would leave the war dancer standing, it wouldn't strip the ball, and that war dancer would eat not one, not two, but three blocks coming back for his trouble. The third block was finally the pal, but nothing came out of the knockdown. However, Pity the Ghoul would cause a KO on another player. The APO would finally get spent by Take the Wood, Take the Bad, and it would result in the player being stunned, and more importantly, on the pitch. You have so few players left on the pitch, this is the time to start thinking about maybe using an apothecary not to save your high dollar players necessarily, but just to keep your chances alive on the pitch of trying to win this. On turn 11, take the wood, take the bad. Would move a lineman down pitch and put him in the scoring position. They would try to go after this ball and try to win 2-0. Take the wood, would blitz to cause yet another KO against this Necro team, but it would be to no avail by turn 12, Take the Woods' defense would be shattered. Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul did a really good job of taking the right hits to break up the defense and get that cage down to the 8-yard line. He played a very solid, bashy game, yet used his werewolf to great advantage. Used that werewolf to take the blitzes, used Frenzy, got the assist for the Frenzy follow-ups when he would need it. Very, very smart play. Very good offensive play. On turn 12, take the wood, take the bad, would try really hard to try to stop this run and wrestle the ball back. They'd take another War Dancer leap blitz. They'd get the push. It would strip the ball. The War Dancer was on the left. The ball would scatter to the right of the cage. That left it as a really long shot pickup, a one-third chance pickup by a journeyman to pick up this ball. Didn't work out, and Pity the Ghoul would recover the ball and cage up on the 10-yard line. They would protect the left side of the cage very strongly because there were no defensive players on the right side. The final quarter would begin with take the wood, take the bad, trying a leap blitz yet again, but they had to spend a TRR on a dodge to make a mark that left them with no TRR for the rest of this play and ended up failing a dodge on another lineman who had to take a mark and that would end end the, the blitz attempt. This would allow Pity the Ghoul to move the ball up to the 16-yard line, and by this point on turn 14, most of Take the Woods' team is behind the ball. Therefore, they have to use some GFIs. They end up GFIing with the AG5 lineman and the War Dancer to get close in on that cage. On turn 15, Pity the Ghoul can score free and clear, but they decide to stall. Ends up being a very good decision. The Werewolf blitzes the War Dancer. He cages up on the 22-yard line, just two spaces away from the end zone. Take the wood, take the bad. In a last desperate attempt to stop this score, they would try to mark the entire cage to prevent the assists coming back on the turn 16 Pity the Ghoul score attempt. Would force The idea was to force Pity the Ghoul to have to dodge. The Ghoul does have the dodge skill. Take the wood, take the bad. Would mark the back of the cage. They'd end up injuring George Jefferson, a zombie. They would move the AG5 lineman to the front right corner of the cage. At this point, 
Three of the four corners of the cage are marked. The war dancer was going to try to leap to dodge to mark the ball carrier to force that dodge, but failed the leap. Pity the Ghoul would score, and this game would end in a 1-1 tie that eliminates Take the Wood, Take the Bad from the Chaos Cup, and the Pips Pippy Fan Club would advance to the semifinals. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviaunito2. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.